Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. For the last four weeks, we've been talking about, we've been on a series called Superhuman. We've been talking about faith. And I felt this week, I just felt a tug on my heart to, um, to step away from that series and to talk about something different today. And next week on Thursday is Independence Day. It's the 4th of July. And so a lot of us are going to be celebrating Independence Day. Going to be shooting off some fireworks, spending some time at the lake, spending time with family. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to honor our independence here, first of all, by reading a story to you. Um, now, you may be familiar with this story, but if you've, never, if you've never heard it before, just hang on, okay? This is, one, this is probably one of my favorite stories because the reason that we're free is somebody fought for us. Somebody fought for our freedom and secured our freedom. So this is one of my favorite stories. It's about George Washington. I'll just read it to you and, and, and you can pay attention to the screen here. George Washington's life hung in the balance for two hours. And he was only saved by a direct intervention of God. This is the story of his life once, this story of his life once appeared in virtually every textbook in America, but has not been seen in over 40 years. Very interesting. In 1754, the French and Indian War began, and George Washington was only 23 years old. It occurred 20 years before the American Revolution. It was the British against the French, and the Americans sided with the British, and most of the, most of the Indians sided with the French. Both uh, Great Britain and France refuted each other's claim of ownership along the Ohio and Mississippi rivers. In fact, basically both of them claimed the same land. So unable to, dispute, to settle the dispute diplomatically, Great Britain sent 2,300 hand-picked veteran British troops um, to America to rout the French. The British troops arrived in Virginia, where George Washington was the colonel of the Virginia militia, and he and 100... Buckskins joined General Braddock. They divided their forces. General Braddock and George Washington and 1,300 troops marched north to expel the French from Fort Duquesne, which is now the city of Pittsburgh. The fort was right there on the Golden Triangle, if you've ever been to Pittsburgh. There's three rivers there. And on July the 9th, 1755, only seven miles from the fort, while marching through that wooded ravine, they walked right into an ambush. The French and the Indians opened fire on them from both sides. But these were British veteran troops. The problem was they were, um, they were, they were familiar with European warfare. European warfare is all out in the open. One army would stand up on one and line up on one end of the field and the other army would line up on the other end of the field and they would look at each other, take aim, and fire. No running, no hiding. But here they were in the Pennsylvania woods and the French and the Indians were fighting them on both sides, firing and the, from tops of trees, from under rocks and under logs. And when it came, you know, when they experienced this attack, the British troops did what they had been trained to do. They stood up, lined up shoulder to shoulder, and they were slaughtered in that ravine. At the end of two hours, 713 of the 1,300 British American troops had been shot down. Only 30 Indians had been shot. <clears throat> there were 86 British officers involved in that battle. And in the end, George Washington was the only officer who had not been shot down from his horse. Following this resounding defeat, Washington gathered the remaining troops and retreated to Fort Cumberland in western Maryland. 
They arrived on July 17, 1755. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the next day, Washington wrote a letter to his family describing what had happened. This is what he said. He said, we marched on to that place without any considerable losses or loss, having only a, a, you know, a, a straggler picked off by the French here and there. We were only seven miles from the fort when we were attacked by a body of French and Indian whose number I'm, sure, I'm certain was, did not exceed 300 men. Ours consisted of 1,300 well-armed troops, chiefly of the English soldier, who were also struck with such a panic that they behaved with more cowardice than it is possible to conceive. The officers behaved gallantly in order to encourage their men, for which they suffered greatly, there being nearly 60 killed and wounded, a large uh, proportion out of the number we had. The Virginia troops showed a great deal of bravery and were nearly all killed, for I believe that out of three companies that there, uh, that there were there, there are scarcely 30 men left. I escaped without a wound, though I had four bullet holes through my coat, two horses shot out, shot out from underneath me. By the all-powerful dispensation of providence, I've been protected beyond all human probability and expectation. So Washington openly uh, acknowledged that God, God's hand was upon him and that God had protected him and kept him through that battle. Fifteen years later, in 1770, now a time of peace, George Washington and a close friend, Dr. James Craig, returned to those same Pennsylvania woods. And an old Indian chief from far away who had heard that Washington had come back to those woods traveled a long way just to meet him. He sat down with Washington face to face over a council fire and told Washington, he said this, I too was a leader in the great battle 15 years ago. I instructed my braves to single out the officers and to shoot them all down. When they could not bring you down, I personally shot at you with my rifle 17 times without effect. I knew then that you were under the protection of the great spirit. So I instructed my braves, stop firing at him. I've traveled a long way, a weary path, and I, to see the young warrior of the great battle. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. This story appeared in school textbooks for nearly, thank you, nearly, more, uh, nearly a half century, or a century and a half, excuse me. Today it's disappeared. Mainly because of its religious emphasis is the reason why. But doesn't that story encourage you? I found this out about Washington too just the other day. That they believe that the British pulled out altogether because they had this feeling that Washington, you know he was never injured in battle. There's no record of him being hurt in battle. And the, the, they pulled out because they just, they just figured he's never going to die. And in fact, one time there were, and I hope I get my numbers right here, there was 1,700 troops. Washington was on his horse on a hill. All of them opened up, fired, fired on him, and couldn't bring him down. And George Washington turned to ride off. And as he was leaving on his horse, the British soldiers stood up and began to applaud. You don't believe that story? Look it up. Look it up for yourself, okay? All right, so who's ready to get into the Word? <laughs> I just wanted to open up with a tribute to the 4th of July. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. 
exactly what you have for us. In Jesus' name, and if you agree, say amen. 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 Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want to talk to you this morning about inviting interruptions. How many of you like interruptions? Like people interrupting you? You've got your schedule, you've got your plan laid out, you've got what you're going to do laid out, and then all of a sudden interruptions come. Well, interruptions can be a really good thing. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some stories in the Bible here and give you some context for what I'm going to talk about. Matthew chapter 5 is the first one here. And look at verse 21. Mark, did I say Matthew? Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Does that look more familiar? <laughs> Keep me straight, honey. Keep me straight. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. Now then Jesus had crossed over again uh, by boat to the other side, and a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogues came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. And Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and they thronged him. Okay, so we have Jairus who's come to Jesus. Jairus, it said, is he's a ruler in the synagogue. So he's a man of status. He's a man of, of importance in the synagogue, right? Because he's one of the rulers. And so, so here he comes. And interesting, he lays before Jesus. One translation says that he prostrated himself before Jesus. You know what that means? He's worshiping God. So, when you're a person of status, when, when you may have a title, you may have a position, but when you need a miracle, you posture yourself to receive the miracle. None of this comes into play. All of a sudden, status doesn't matter. All of a sudden, position doesn't matter. All of a sudden, titles don't come into play. Why? Because you need a miracle from God. And you posture yourself. I think it's interesting how many people don't believe in God, but yet when they need a miracle in their life, they turn to Him. They pray when they need a miracle, when we've done all that we can do. I, I heard about these two men that were faced with a challenge and a situation. They did, they did everything that they could to try and, try and uh, work through this challenge, this situation. Finally, they stopped and they looked at each other and they said, Well, dear God, I guess all we can do now is pray. Well, don't you think you should have done that to begin with? <laughs> you know, how many of you know, man, you, if you pray first, man, you can experience miracles in your life. You can experience answers to questions. And so here, his desperation has driven him to posture himself and put himself in a position to receive from God. And that's what we have to do sometimes. When we need a miracle in our life, we have to posture ourselves, put ourselves in a position to be able to receive from God. Amen? Now, it says that Jesus went with him, and it said all these people thronged him. Now, thronged is kind of a fancy word. It's an old English word, but what it means is, let me give you the definition, is to crowd together, to press close in a body. So, I don't know about you, I, I, I had the privilege to go to some graduations this past May. One of the graduations I went to was Austin's graduation. It was a Springdale High School, 
And so it was downtown in the Bud Walton Arena. And coming out of the Bud Walton Arena, when the graduation was over, well, the first thing that they did when the graduation was over, he said, I just received, a, a, a person got up and they said, I need to make an announcement. I just received word from uh, the university security. They're asking us to not leave the building yet because there was heavy storms that were coming through. So if you'll just bear with us, and of course everybody started to, you know, kind of gripe and complain about it. But we sat there for just, a, you know, maybe about 10, 15 minutes at the most. And then he got up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, they've released us to leave. You know, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming to the Springdale High School graduation. Well, we're leaving the Bud Walton Arena, so we had to walk up to the mezzanine level. And we're getting ready to walk down the steps. And it was short. Everybody was coming to the same door. Everybody in the arena. Nicole and I were shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe, front to back people. And all you could do was just kind of scoot a step at a time as the person in front of you would go, you would go. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if there was a fire, if there was a, if there was a real problem, we'd be cooked because <laughs> we're in here like sardines. So I wanted to kind of give you a picture. Thank God nothing happened. We, everybody got out okay. Um, but I wanted to kind of give you a picture of what that word thronged looks like, okay? And so verse 25. So that's what's happening. So imagine all these people surrounding Jesus or swarming Jesus. Verse 25 says, Now there was a certain woman with a flow of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered many things at the hands of many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. And so she heard about Jesus and she came behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes, touched his garments. Okay, and it goes on to say, because she said to herself, if only I can touch his clothes, I know I'll be made well. So she pushes through, she touches Jesus, and it says in verse 29 that immediately her fountain, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she'd been healed from the affliction. So man, what a wonderful experience. Wouldn't that be great, man, if you had had this pain, had this thing in your body for all these years and now you experience healing for the first time. In verse 30 it says, And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had flown out of him, had gone from him, he turned to the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? Now think about this. Remember, there, he's being thronged. Everyone is trying to get to Jesus and touch Jesus. And so his disciples said to him, his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you and you ask, who touched me? Everybody's touching you. But only one person touched him and something happened. Because she touched Jesus with her faith. Everybody else just wanted to touch Jesus. But she said to herself, if I can touch him, I know I'll be healed. That's faith. Faith is knowing. Faith is believing. Faith is knowing in your heart, Lord, if I can touch you with my faith, I know I can receive an answer for this situation. Some of you, I believe, are sitting in this room right now and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've got a situation going on in my life and I haven't prayed yet over that situation. I'm going to pray for it. Because I, I believe that when you do, man, God's going to give you the answer to that thing. Amen. Amen. So, so she touched him with her faith. And look at verse 32. It says, And he looked around to see who, who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened in herself, she came, she fell down before him, she told him the whole truth, what had happened. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
That's a powerful statement. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So here's what I want you to see a couple things through this. First of all, what I want you to see is that many of the great miracles that Jesus did happened when he was on his way to do something else. He was interrupted. He was interrupted. Her faith interrupted him. Now, let's think about for a moment Jairus. Jairus is standing here next to Jesus because Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. His daughter is about to die. And he's saying, Lord, come. And so Jesus is coming to their house. Well, now there's this great interruption. Now Jesus says this to this woman. And what do you think Jairus is doing? Hey, man. How bad do you think he wanted to say, Jesus, can we kind of speed things up a little bit here? You know, remember my daughter? Remember we're trying to get to her house? Don't you think he'd be doing that? But Jairus never said, Lord, can you hurry up? He stayed patient. So as Jesus is saying this to this woman, woman, your faith has made you well. It says in that next verse, in verse 35, that while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. I just felt in my heart this morning, as I, as I was reading that last night, I was thinking, you know, some of you in here, you may feel like your dream has died. You may feel like you've reached the end of what you know how to do in a situation. That situation is dead. That dream is dead. That hope is dead. What you were planning on doing, it seems like it's died. But let me give you some good news. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the power of God is not dictated by time. It's never dictated by time. You remember Lazarus? What did he do? He stayed three days. He let him die. Why? I'm going to go raise him up. Man, what an experience it must have been for Lazarus. To come out of his body and then to go back in. Don't you think that would be an interesting experience? So, let me tell you, Jesus gives life to dead things. And there may, be, there may be some dead things in your life right now. Some things that you're thinking about right now that have come to your mind. And you're going, you know what, God? You can bring that back to life in me. And you need to bring it back to life in your faith. You need to begin to believe again. Amen. So verse 36 says, and as soon as Jesus heard it, so Jesus heard, he comes and he says, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he spoke to Jairus and he said, do not be afraid, only believe. Man, when the bad report comes, your flesh wants to get into panic. When I was standing there uh, in my mom's hospital room and she had just experienced a massive heart attack, she had gone through surgery, but her blood pressure was continuing to drop, continuing to drop, and the doctor said she's going to flatline. I mean, there were literally seven nurses lining the wall in the hospital room. Why? Because they're getting ready to do CPR. And he said, he said, do you want us to resuscitate her? How many of you know? That's looking pretty hopeless. That's looking pretty hopeless. But you know what? God is the God of hope. And I, I'm so thankful because I'm not saying I know how to do things, okay? I'm, man, I'm learning like everybody else, okay? But I'm so glad that Dad and I kept our mouths shut in this situation. Why? Because you don't want to speak what's in your heart. 
You don't want to speak the, the fear that you're experiencing, the panic that's trying to come on you. I mean, you've got to, you've got to tighten your lip and say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. And that's what J. Iris did. Because why? The cross has the final word. Jesus has the final word. The situation doesn't have the final word. You may be in a situation in your life and it seems hopeless. It seems like that's over. I'm telling you, you need to believe God again and let him resurrect what's died in your life. Amen. And it says in verse 37 that he permitted no one else to come except Peter, James, and John. And so they came to the house, the ruler of Jairus' house. And there was a great, again, they use a the fancy word, tumult. Man, there's big commotion going on. There's people crying. There's people mourning. And Jesus, when he came in and he saw it in verse 39, he said, he said don't cry. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And the Bible says in verse 30 that they ridiculed him. Now, isn't this interesting? You know what ridicule means, by the way? Ridicule is aimed, this is what the, the, the uh, Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary says. It says it's aimed at what, at, it's, they, they've said it in a fancy way. Let me see if I can read it correctly. Ridicule is aimed at what is not only laughable, but absurd. So here, I find this interesting because they go from mourning, crying, to laughing instantaneously. How does that work? Go from crying over the little girl. Jesus says, don't cry. She's not dead. She's only sleeping to laughing and ridiculing him. So they laugh and they, and they ridicule him. And look at what Jesus does in the end of verse 40. It says, but when he had put them out, <laughs> Jesus said, come on, guys. Here's the door. You can't be in here. Why, why wouldn't Jesus allow them to stay in there? Why wouldn't he heal her in front of them? Because they have no faith. They do not believe. They believe that she's dead. How do they know she's dead? They've checked her. I mean, she's cold. She has no pulse. Rigor mortis might even be setting in. They know that she's dead. But Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Let me tell you, when you need a miracle, there's no room for doubt in your life. You've got to get doubt out. Amen? You know, there's a lot of well-meaning people. And they are. They're well-meaning people. You know? But if they're not encouraging your faith, you may need to gently pull back from them. And don't let them speak into your life. Because you, you don't want your faith to be damaged. You don't want your faith to be pulled in that direction. Right? All right. So here's what happened. It says, he took the father and the mother of the child, and they went to where the child was. And he took the child in it, the child's hand, and he said to her, I'm going to give you the English version, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and walked because she was 12 years old, and everybody stood in great amazement. That's what happens when Jesus is, is able to perform a miracle. When, when doubt is taken out of the equation, then all of a sudden, miracles begin to happen. So, here's my question to you. Is God able to invade your space with his presence? Would you allow God to interrupt you, bring an interruption to your life? I don't know about you, but he seldom does things on my schedule. I don't feel like I'm the only one that that happens too, you know. But would you allow God to interrupt your plans for his purposes? 
Because God wants to either do something in your life or he wants to do something in somebody else's life and he wants you to be the one to do it. He wants you to be the one to pray for him. And listen to what Rich Wilkerson said. He said, what appears to be an interruption is often an intervention. But convenience has no time for interruptions. Oftentimes, it's not convenient when God wants to do things in your life, when God wants to put you in a situation to be able to minister to somebody else, right? But Jesus was always available, and he gave his attention to interruptions. Let me give you another situation. Turn over to Matthew 19. See, I was, I was trying to take you to Matthew all along. Where are you going now? Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 16. I'm going to talk about another story here. This was a young man that came to Jesus. And he said to him in verse 16, he said, Good teacher, what things must I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Jesus answers him in an interesting way in verse 17. He says, Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he says to him, which ones? Now this is an interesting question by the young man. Jesus answers him and he says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives him the last of the Ten Commandments, the last six. He doesn't give him the initial four. I thought that was very interesting, so I went back and I looked up the first four. All right, let's look at the first four. The first four is, the first one is, you shall not you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make idols. Uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. These are the four that he didn't say to him. And so the first one, you shall have no other gods before you. That's loyalty. The second one, you shall not make an idol or grave an image to worship. That's worship. And then thirdly, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That's reverence. And then lastly, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. That's relationship. That's drawing near to God. That's what we're doing this morning, right? It's not just me, te it's not just me preaching to you. It's us together drawing near to God. Amen? <clears throat> so look at verse 20. It says, so the young man says, because he only named the six, gave him the six. He said, all of these I have kept since my youth. He said, what do I still lack? So he knows in his heart I, he still lacks something. And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. What was going on? He was a rich young ruler, the Bible says. He had a lot of wealth. And people sometimes that have a lot of wealth, they begin to put their trust in money. Let's go back to those four commandments again. Wait a minute. Loyalty. Man, you're loyal to God when you're fully dependent upon him. This is why Jesus said, it goes into, after this verse, it goes into Jesus talking about this is why it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's because their trust is in what they have in the bank. And they try to do it that way first. But see, a person that doesn't have any money, his trust is fully in God. This is one thing that David said when David you know, was going through everything he went through. He said, Lord, make me neither rich nor poor. I don't want to shame you and beg, and I don't want to get to a place financially where I, my trust is not fully in you all the time. Loyal, loyalty to God. Worshiping 
God. You're not worshiping the money. You're not allowing money to have a place of idol, uh, a place of idol in your life. Amen. So, so Jesus wanted to interrupt this young man's life, his comfort with God's purpose. You know, that's another thing that I've heard that wealth does is it makes people comfortable while they're miserable sometimes. <laughs> you know, they might, you know, and, but look at what Jesus wanted to do here. He wanted to make him a disciple. He said, come and follow me. He's given him the opportunity to become a disciple, but he passed it up. He passed it up. Sometimes it's not convenient. Let me tell you, in a, in uh, I'm trying to think of the month that it was. It was 2013. We went on the road in April, right? We were asked in January. Okay. I was trying to think through that process. In January of 2013, um, Nicole and I, I, the week before um, this phone call that I got, I was praying and seeking God. We were doing a lot of uh, outreach and ministry in Louisville, Kentucky. We were uh, we would go out every month into low-income housing projects and, and take food, clothes, furniture, household items, similar, similar to what we did down here at Shallow Square. And we'd just give it away for free, but we would present the gospel to people. And we just wanted to be a blessing to people. And, but there were many other things that we were doing. I had a music studio. We had, we had a, uh, a TV uh, edit suite and camera. I mean, the whole, the whole setup. Plus, plus, we had you know, vehicles, ministry vehicles. When we do our outreach, we had a, a U, kind of a UPS looking truck that we had cut the side out and had a fold out stage. We'd put speakers out, you know, and we would do our outreaches. And so, but something was missing on the inside of me. I could sense something was getting ready to happen. And I didn't know what it was. And I remembered thinking to myself, you know, God, we're doing a lot of different things. I said, I just want to, I want to do what you want me to do. See, because you can do good things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you're doing what God wants you to do. Now, the outreaches were, it was evident. They were, man, they were producing. We were seeing all kinds of fruit take place in the outreaches. But some of the other stuff that we had going on, I, I felt like it was more of a wait. And I said, Lord, I'm open to you. What do you want me to do? And a week later, I get a phone call from a friend of mine in Tulsa who says, Phil, I want you to pray about something. He said, I'd like you to come on the road with me. He said, and I'd like you to uh, be the production manager for a production called The 99. It was a walk-through theater experience that presented the gospel. Now, this was an interruption in my life because that wasn't on my schedule. That wasn't something I was looking at and I was thinking, hey, wouldn't that be fun to go and travel with a bunch of college students and, and live on the road and oversee a production that takes a ton of work you know and that wasn't in my plan and but when he said it you know he was describing everything and when he reached the end he said oh and by the way there's no salary he said so you'd have to you'd have to raise your own support I'm like man well you're really selling this you know because and you know what had happened is he had offered it to many people before Nicole and I but all of them wanted a, a guarantee, a salary. And all of them wanted, you know, some of them couldn't go because they, they had so much debt in their life. 
Well, fortunately, God had really helped us. And the only thing we had debt on was our house and a little bit of debt on a vehicle that we, we just wound up selling the vehicle. But, but when he asked me to do that, I said, well, will you let me pray about it? I already knew the answer. But you know you say that because it makes you sound spiritual is really what it, what it equates to. And, and I, I really didn't need to pray about it. I, I knew in my heart already that God was bringing this opportunity to me, but it scared me. Because what the Lord had instructed me to do was he said, are you willing to give everything away? And I'm looking around my house and I'm seeing all of the studio, the music equipment, the video stuff that we had, the, the vehicle, the trailer that we had. The, I mean, all of the equipment and not to mention our own personal stuff, our furniture. But the Lord had really put me on this heart. He said, listen, I'm a, now I'm not saying God's telling you to do this, okay? So don't get scared because some of you can look at me kind of like you're scared. That's, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but, but the Lord had spoken to me and, and, and here I'm at this same moment, this rich young ruler moment. Are you going to give it up and come and follow me? And I said, man, Lord, and I had this knot in my throat, you know, the kind that you get way up in the chest that's like, you know. And, but I knew that I knew that I knew in my heart we're supposed to do this. I said, well, Lord, I said to you, I asked you a week earlier, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Come on, be honest. Be honest. Yeah. Okay, you pray that prayer and then God tells you to do something crazy, right? And you go, No, <laughs> you know. So anyway, but here's what happened. Because we did that, because we obeyed, because we stepped out and we did what God told us to do, do you know that over 30,000 people in the five years that we traveled with the 99 received Christ? I had no idea until they presented us with a plaque when we left, when we came to Northwest Arkansas. And he presented us with a plaque. I still have it. And it tells the number of how many people came through the production, how many people gave their lives to the Lord. And I just went, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I stepped out. And do you know, he brought in everything that we needed. He brought in our monthly support. He gave us an RV to travel in. He gave us a trailer to pull my car on. He, he blessed us with monthly partners. We'd never had monthly partners before. We were, we were so excited because God ordained it. But I allowed him to interrupt my life. Do you see the importance of interruption? See, here's what happens. Successful people are successful because they're willing to do what other people are not willing to do. That's really the simplicity of success. You're willing to do what other people are not willing to do. See, lazy people settle. I heard this... <laughs> heard about this high school teacher actually I'm sorry it was a college uh, professor and he was going to give an exam on a particular day and so all the students came to the class they were getting ready to take the exam and he said we're going to do something a little different today he said I'm going to give all of you students an opportunity he said if you want a C I will give you a C on the test and you don't even have to take it you can leave the class and not even have to stay here for the test if you just want a C all you have to do is raise your hand and let me know. Well, everybody stood there. Everybody sat there kind of stunned. And finally, this one hand goes up. I want to see. 
And, and then all of a sudden, other hands started going up until 50% of the class said, we want a seat. Well, he wrote all their names down and he said, okay, okay, okay. All of you are getting the seats. He said, I'm putting it down right now. He said, you can get up and you can leave. Man, they left and they're high-fiving each other in the hall on the way out. And they're all smiles. And then the teacher took all the tests and he said, okay, those of you that are staying, that are taking the tests, I'm going to put all these tests on your desk. I'm going to ask you to leave them turned over until, you know, until I say that you can go ahead and, and take the test now. And so he hands out all the tests. He puts them on all the desks of the students. And when he gets done and he gets back to the front of the classroom, he says, he says, now guys, let me say this before you begin. He said, because you were willing to stay, because you were willing to do what other people were not willing to do, you're going to be a success in your life. Everything that you put your hand to, you're going to be a success. And he said, I just want you to know how proud of, how proud of you I am. He said, when you're ready, you can flip the test over and you can begin. Well, do you know when they flipped that over, they found an empty piece of paper that said, congratulations, you made an A. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you making an A? Are you making the grade? Look at your neighbor and say, yes, you are. are. Come on, encourage somebody. <laughs> All right, let me, because I'm running out of time here. I want to, I want to know where I want to go here. Thank you, Lord. Okay, one more. Let's just do one more, and then, and then I'm going to wrap up. Uh, Luke chapter ten. Turn over to Luke chapter ten. Are you getting something out of this? Amen. 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 Luke chapter ten. <clears throat> It's an interesting story here that Jesus shares. There was a lawyer that came to Jesus in verse 25 and he said, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him in verse 26, What, what is written in the law? What is it that you read in there? How, how do you define it? How do you, how, you know, how, how do you hear it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. He said, do this and you'll live. And so the man, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, sometimes people want to adjust Scripture to fit their lifestyle instead of adjusting their lifestyle to fit Scripture. And so Jesus went into a story. He said to him in verse 30, he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem and he fell among thieves. He was stripped of his clothing and he was wounded and they departed leaving him half dead now by chance that means that this man wasn't expecting this to happen but by chance a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side Bob Goff said this he said living a life of following Christ means constant interruptions how many of you know that was an interruption that was an opportunity and he walked by on the other side opportunities seldom come at convenient times and in verse 32, it says, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. He missed the, other, the opportunity as well. In Texas, we used to call those people rub, rubberneckers. Rubberneckers, remember them? Those are the guys that drive real slow by the accident. So too busy seeing what kind of damage was created. Verse 33 says, But then a certain Samaritan 
journeyed and when he came to where he was, he saw him and he did something different. What's those next three words? It says that he had compassion. Oftentimes when interruptions come, that's what they look like. It looks like need. It looks like work. It looks like time out of my schedule because I need to go and deal with something. I need to go and help this person. I need to go and take care of this issue. And so verse 34 says that he went and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out a denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think were a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the lawyer said to him, because he's so smart, he showed mercy on him. He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do the same thing. Go and do the same thing. See, if you truly want to be used by God, you need to be interruptible. Is your schedule set in concrete? Or are you willing to take some time for the people that are hurting? Remember, we took our family to, uh, to Dairy Queen one time. Can I get a shout out for Dairy Queen? Somebody, anybody like Dairy Queen? We took our family to Dairy Queen and we're, and we're just going to go get some ice cream. Well, suddenly this little girl, you remember her name? Michaela? Nakayla. Yeah, a little. Yep. Michaela. Yeah, I, I knew you probably remember. I didn't remember her name. But this little girl with a backpack comes walking across this busy highway. And she walks up to Dairy Queen. We're outside eating ice cream. And so we, walk, we walked over to her and asked her, what, what's going on? She had run away from home. Her mom's boyfriend was there, and he was beginning to, to beat up the mom. And she didn't want to stay, and she was running for her life. Well, we put her in the car. We took her home to our house. And then we called the police, you know and called her dad. Her dad lived down in Nashville, Tennessee. But we began to, we prayed with her and ministered to her. And do you know, Nikayla that night was carrying a, a glow-in-the-dark stick, glow stick. And she was, that was one of the way, ways we saw her when she was coming out across the highway because it was so dark. You know? And so she left her glow stick at our house. And the police officer said, came to us after he talked with her. And he said, man, that's amazing. She's been with you. How long has she been with you guys? I said, probably an hour. And he said that she wants to stay with you more than her own family. He said that she senses peace and love in this house. He said, thank you. So we took that little, uh, that little go-in-the-dark stick and, and we set it on our counter. We wrote Nikayla's name on it. So every time we'd walk by, you know, and we'd see that glow stick. <laughs> and at night, you know, you'd get up in the middle of the night and, and until the gas ran out on it, you know, it, it still glowed. You know, and you'd see it over there and you'd pray for Nikayla. But see, we were able to help her. We were able to minister to her. But what if we were not willing to be interrupted? 
wouldn't have had that opportunity to pray with her and to minister to her. And all I'm saying this morning is there's people on the other side of your obedience waiting for you. You say, Phil, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be. You just have to be you. Because you have influence. You have opportunities on a daily basis. I do too. But I think now it's time for us to to come to a, a greater place of allowing God to interrupt our lives. Interrupt our schedule. Interrupt where we are. And, and help us see the need in the people around us. Because people are hurting all around us. All around you. You say, well, Phil, I, I'm trying to take care of my own sins. I'm just trying to deal with my own sins. You've got the focus the wrong way. Because nobody's perfect. Jesus was. You know? But that's why 1 John 1, 9 is in there. That if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why that's in there. But that's not in there only for you. That's in there for the people around you as well. But they experience God's forgiveness through your and my love. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church. Vision for life.